the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Ecos. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Have you ever been stuck in your job, corporate job, some job that's just unfulfilling? You have something nagging at you that you know you can do more. You know, you have that business you want to start or that entrepreneurial journey you want to do that you want to just, but something is holding you back. Well, my next guest today is going to dive into how she went from lawyer to entrepreneur where she created a natural food snack company specifically for women and girls to basically help them get the needs in snack foods that are missing in the market. There's a big hole in the market for um, health food in general, but she really wanted to hone in on stuff that she likes to eat and she knows that this will impact women and that they can use as healthy snacks because let's be honest, everybody's snack is different. So really exciting. We talk about a lot of the things entrepreneur related about retail, about getting into the stores, getting into retail, getting online, how important it is and really about the journey, about the different things, the mindset, how important mindset is to making the shift and believing in yourself. So many things here we talk about. I'm really excited to dive in. Make sure you listen to this right till the end. And as always, if you haven't subscribed yet, go hit that subscribe button, stay on top of the action. And at the end of the show, please leave a review. I'd love to hear what you guys, what you got from it and your takeaways. So we're going to have Melanie DeRose joining us in just a moment. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is the founder of Impact, a woman-owned natural food snack company from Boulder, Colorado. The EM stands for Empowering Women and Girls, and the PAC stands for Helping Them Make an Impact in Their Families and Communities. Her mission is to empower and inspire, motivate women to make a difference in their lives and their community. Now, I'm really excited about this to dive in because I know there's so much to this story and I'm so excited to kind of dive in um, and, and just to see, you know, how you got to this point. And that's, that's what I love is that journey. So maybe take us back and maybe just, yeah, paint a picture for us and let us know how it all came to be. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Th- thanks so much for having me on your show today. I'm super excited to be here. But I'm actually a recovering lawyer. I'm a former corporate and securities attorney. So I have a really tortured kind of story as to how I ended up owning a consumer packaged goods company, which if you had asked me a few years ago, if I'd be doing what I was doing, I would say you were crazy. I had no background in food. In fact, I grew up in the panhandle in Texas uh, in a city called Lubbock. And when I was a kid, there was like, um, let's see, there were tumbleweeds, some cow manure. Uh, We had some good burgers and barbecue, but you know, that's kind of where, that's where I started. I grew up in Texas, spent a lot of time there, left for college and went to UCLA. So kind of like polar opposite Texas, but decided I needed to get out of there. Uh, After UCLA, I worked for what is now AT&T doing kind of a, a external affairs, political affairs job, like lobbying the city on telephone lines and stuff like that. So after that foray, I met what is now my husband at UCLA, and we decided to flip a coin and, and decide between law school and business school. Ended up at law school at University of Texas School of Law, which is a great school. 
Um, I'm forever a Longhorn for that reason. And then, um, and I'm kind of blowing through this because I'll get to the story. But yeah. uh, after, you know, clerked for a federal judge, worked at a corporate, uh, sorry, at an international law firm doing corporate and securities law. So big mergers, IPOs, you know, dealing with corporate affairs of a company specializing in contracts. In fact, I'm an adjunct professor at the UT School of Law now. And I'll go back sometimes periodically and teach that class. And so, wow. you know, from my perspective, I grew up in a family for, full of lawyers and that was my path. I was really following that path. And whenever I finally arrived at the law firm, I was like, this is it on track to make partner. Um, but then a few things, a few things happen as they always do when you leave the career that you've been, you know, sort of heading for your whole life and racking up all the debt from law school and everything else. But I, first of all, I had my first daughter there. And working in an international law firm was a great job, but it required a lot out of me. And I was slugging it out 80 hour weeks, which is not unusual for me now. But the difference was I really wasn't passionate about what I was doing. So it kind of lost the passion. Um, then I had my daughter and was really struggling. You know, I can recall one time walking out the driveway of my house, like, you know, trying to get to work as fast as possible, jump on a conference call. And she came out running after me and was bawling, just saying, please stay home today. Um, that moment really hit me. You know, the second moment that really hit me was I was pregnant with my second daughter working in the law firm till, I don't know, two in the morning, one night on a deal. I was probably seven months pregnant. Walk out to parking garage in my heels. I slip and fall. Nobody's around. And my first thought, of course, is like, oh, my God, is the baby okay? Am I going to go into labor here in the parking lot? But then my second thought was like, this cannot happen now. My client will kill me if I cannot continue on this deal tomorrow. And I really paused in that moment. And I thought, you know, like, I need to examine my priorities. They're, they're pretty messed up. Um, or maybe that just made me a really good lawyer. But at the time, I, I was really kind of getting more and more unhappy in that job, even though, like I said, it was a great job. The other thing was I, I did have an entrepreneurial spirit. So that is very difficult to like, carry out in a law-related career, which has increasingly come more and more. Um, I would say if you're introverted, it's a good job. You work in your office most of the time, closed doors, 16-hour days working on documents. So that's tough. Um, so that was going on. Uh, you know, had my daughters, was trying to be a good mom, felt every day kind of like a bad mom, a bad lawyer, a bad spouse. You know, I just felt like I couldn't do anything that I wanted to do the right way. And, I, and this was, by the way, resonating with a lot of women I worked with. A lot of them felt the same way. So in that moment, I decided, screw it. I'm going to take a chance, even though my personality and being a lawyer has trained me to be very risk adverse. And I'm going to step out and launch a health and fitness company for women. And the reason that happened, one reason that happened is I was, you know, I had my, my daughters. I was sitting in my living room one day doing P90X. I don't know if you know what that is. Oh, yeah. I'm aging myself, right? But that I'm, would have been like, what, 2011, 2012? Yes, yes. So I'm on a pull-up bar in my living room looking at my husband like, what the hell am I doing? This is not for women. This is for men. Like I work on my back. I want to work on my ass really is what I wanted to work on after having kids and realized there was really not something that was made just for women. This is kind of like the beginning of now what is where I've zoned in, which is products for women. So we created this in-home DVD program for women. Um, I was not the trainer. Uh, we found a trainer who trained moms and we launched that online. And that was my first company. It was called Fay Fit, and it was an in-home DVD program. 
And what happened was we had amazing customers who were super loyal. They were interested in nutrition though. And so at about that time, we were so focused on, we've got to, you know, build new products and videos took a really long time. We thought, well, we can appease these customers by developing a nutrition plan and launching some kind of snack. And I found myself walking down the protein bar aisle at a grocery store one day in Texas going, I don't like, I, I don't see anything for me. There's nothing here for me. I'm a mom. I need something healthy. I'm on the go. Most of the bars were 300 calories full of sugar, 50 grams of protein. You know, my stomach was like a nuts. So anyway, long story short, we decided to launch a bar that was made for women. And at, at about that time, we had a lot of interest. We started this bar company, or sorry, we started, um, we, we set up the bars through the fitness company. We had a lot of interest. So we decided we should pay attention to this, sort of reformulated and created what is now Impact. And the other sort of missing piece of my life during all of this career path was that I really wanted to have a purpose. I, I, I wanted to, you know, I'll tell you some of my best legal work was the pro bono work. You know, my, my husband's also a lawyer. He'll tell you his best cases were, you know, pro bono cases. And that was missing. So we wanted to create a mission-based company. So we work with nonprofits that help women and girls. That's how we came on the name Impact, as you mentioned, the EM stands for Empowering Women and Girls and the PACT helping them make an impact. So uh, that's kind of the genesis of the company. And so now, you know, we've just been trying to grow it, um, working with nonprofits and, and developing products for women. But I will just keep going a million miles an hour. So I'm going to pause and oh, <laughs> make sure I didn't miss anything you want to talk I, about. I love it. I love letting, you know, but I, I just, the, the passion that I see in you and speaking, it's great. I don't ever want to stop, like cut that off. That's why I love it. Cause when I get on shows too, I'm like, I just go, I'll go, I'll go. And I'm like, you want me to stop? Like, it's, it's great. And I, I love that because that energy is so important. Right. And so what, what I wanted to talk about as well is like how little there is, well, there was, let's say 2012, how little there was in health products, like yes. actual, because we're taught one thing, you know, in the nineties and the eighties and, and then we're told another thing. And then there's all these new fads, but there's a lot of crap out there. There's yeah. a lot of crap. And if you know anything about ingredients, it's like, man, or like you, you think like they must think I'm stupid, but the majority of people aren't educated on what's good for you and what's not, you know, how, how challenging was that for you, you know, trying to get fit and, you know, and, and coming up with a product that you can actually be aligned with, you know, how important was that to you in, in, in the whole mission? Man, it's super important. So I'm really proud of our products there. So I have three daughters, my middle child, when we started this company was three, I think or four, she was four. And if you want honest feedback, about taste of a product, ask a kid. So yeah. they're, my kids are my chief taste testers because if we can't get them to pass off, then we know the taste isn't right. But the ingredients are a whole other story because I know what I wanted. I mean, I, you know, you start a company and you're like, this is what I want in the food that I'm going to eat. And then you start looking into it and you're right. So there's so much education that is needed out there and people really have no idea what they put in their bodies. And I'll tell you, I call it a funny story. It's maybe an alarming story, but when we, when we finally got our recipes right and we produced our first bars, I remember turning to our manufacturer and our retail advisor, our mentors and going, okay, we got these made. Now, what like regulatory authority do I need to send these to to sign off? Mm -hmm. And they just kind of looked at me baffled and they were like, no, 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 there's, 
there's no one. Like you just, you know, it's, it, it's not just that it's on the honor system. Obviously the regulatory agencies can come in and check you out and you need to say what is true on your ingredient label. But it wasn't like I had to get it verified. And what I realized in that moment, and as I have worked with ingredient suppliers is the stuff that is in our food is really concerning. So for me, it was very important to have clean ingredients. I mean, I'll, t I'll tell you how anal retentive I am about this. One of our bars has unsweetened chocolate, the cherries in it rather, dried cherries. Most cherries are soaked in high fructose corn syrup or juice concentrate, and that is the cheap version. I pay, I think, three times as much to get a cherry that is not soaked in any of that crap um, because it's cleaner and because it doesn't have the extra sugar. Now, it doesn't taste as sweet, but for me, it's more important to have the, the cleaner ingredients. But to your point, there's a lot of education needed. Um, which sometimes you pick up a food product, I'm sure you've had this happen, you look on the back and it's like a science project. It's like the ingredient statement's a mile long, you don't know what you're, you're eating. And when I got into the food industry, I thought, why is that the case? Now, I mean, one reason is just there's a lot of ingredients out there that are good and there are a lot of ingredients out there that are cheap. And, you know, when you've got shareholders, some of the companies will settle for putting or, or be forced to go the cheaper route. But... It, you know, for me, it's really important, the quality of our food. You know, I want to be sure people don't get bloated when they eat our food. I mean, I, I wanted something I could give my girlfriends and my daughters. And that's what was important to me. Yeah, not compromising to sell out, you know, even with oils and stuff like that. Like, there's certain ones that, you know, certain level of people wouldn't catch or notice, but then the people that know that much more would never buy that stuff, but they want to get, they want to catch those people that mainstream uneducated sort of area. And that's what troubles me is because most people are uneducated. Right. Yeah, and there's right. just so much crap. Even like you go to whole foods and I'm looking at some of the bars and I'm like, man, this is just, people got to be so misled here. They're just so misled. And there's just such an area for improvement, which is great. Well, yeah, and you mentioned the fads, right? So, yeah. I mean, look at our history. It was like, oh, fat's bad, you know, and then calories are bad and, you know, sugar's bad. And so let's develop a whole bunch of artificial sweeteners that will get the sugar count to zero. But then some, some studies will show you that you actually will consume more calories when you have those types of sweeteners. So it's yeah. really interesting. So even with education, there's all these fads out there. <clears throat> but for me, the way I look at it is if I'm using clean, whole food, then it you know, it's going to be good for you. I'm not going to yes. compromise, like you said, for cheaper ingredients that are something I don't understand what they are. Yeah. And that's just, that's just a part of being aligned as being a good human as well. It's like, you yeah. want to, you want to feel good about what you're, you're producing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely. like, and, and how did being a lawyer kind of help you? Cause you kind of, you probably, you're obviously a lot more educated in as far as, um, you know, contracts and just that general, business side of things how did yeah. that help you in in kind of making that pivot yeah it well it helped and hurt me and yeah. I'll, talk to you, I'll tell you first how it helped me so I do all of our contracts you know it's great I don't have lawyers are expensive I understand why they are it takes a lot, a lot of time if you get a good lawyer they're really scrutinizing looking for risks evaluating things you know they're thinking worst case scenario like as Chris Rock says in case shit happens right yeah. and that's what a lawyer should do um, so 
I can really look at a contract, very important, like with your manufacturer or your distributor, if you have any leverage to even negotiate with them, I can look at a contract and pick out things right off the bat. And many people have told me like, God, most people don't even read these things. They just sign them. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not most people. Like I did this for a living. I know how this works. So, and it's been interesting. Sometimes if you push back, people always assume, well, you're not going to get anything, but I, I have definitely have situations where people are like, okay, that's what you, if you want to take that provision out, we're cool with it. But on the other, so it's helped me in that regard. And I think, um, just having that job as a basis, you know, being able to, I mean, look, I left a very lucrative salary. I was able luckily I saved it so that I could, I knew I wanted to do some, something in entrepreneurial business. I just didn't know what, but so I had some savings, um, to start at least. And then, but on the flip side, the problem is when you're a lawyer and you're paid to identify risk, obviously, as you know, it is incredibly risky to go out on your own and start a business. I mean, incredibly risky. So unfortunately for me, I could see all the potential problems, all the potential hiccups, you know, with every step of the way. And as a new company in the food space, you have no leverage. Like nobody will negotiate with you. They just laugh at you. You know, you're new. You, you don't, you, you're not like you're world known or whatever. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to even talk to you. So that I think has been more of a challenge just from a mindset perspective, because I've been trained to be super risk adverse and you can't be risk adverse when you start a business, you're, you're being risky every day. And so I think that it's been an, it's been an interesting balance. But there's definitely um, the work ethic that you would need to be a lawyer could definitely help you in that, in that regard. Right. Because yeah, most oh people are soft. Most people give up. Right. Yes. And to become yes. a lawyer, it's like freaking hard, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, is it like suits where it's, it's a lot harder than they make it look in suits, right? It's so, it's so funny that you said that. Like, we have all these core values and they're like the antithesis of the law firm. Like, the law firm come dressed in all professional suits. You can't have your shoulders exposed. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, at court, we had to have pantyhose on, all that stuff. Got to be super professional in it. Now we're like, all about having fun, you know, I mean, we have some really important, serious core values, but I'm not, I, I like put my suits away. Yeah, <laughs> I found them away, yeah. I don't think I will wear them. I hope I don't have to wear them again. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, the work ethic is there and I have a very strong work ethic. Anybody who knows me will probably tell you that's my number one trait, but, the, but there is a downside of that, which is, you know, you can put your head down and work, 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 and sit behind a desk and work on, all the, the sort of the paper side of things, the stuff that has to get done. On the other hand, there are those people that you're talking about. I know you described them as soft, but some of them are soft. Some of them are just like, they're, they're focused on being out front, right? They're fo they, they let themselves be vulnerable. They take risks. They don't worry so much on making everything perfect. They work on getting it done. So I would say one issue that came from working at an international law firm and having the kind of training that I had is you know, everything had to be perfect, right? You're really, you become a perfectionist. And oftentimes that is, that doesn't suit you in business because you hold things up and you bottleneck things because they're not perfect. I was filming a video outside today for an online ad and I'm, believe it or not, I'm actually like terrified to be on video. It takes me like 25 times, right? So I'm walking in the park and I'm literally filming this video like nine times. And finally on the 10th take, I was like, screw it. And I even said it. I'm like, this is the 10th time I filmed this video but I don't even care because it's going to be done. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be done. So sometimes it's detrimental. Yeah. Oh, I really like that because that's so true. It's, and that's part of the entrepreneurial journey is getting on camera and getting outside of your comfort zone. Right? Yeah. That's Absolutely. challenging. 
That's it's so challenging. challenging. And you know, not to stereotype or put this just on women, but I feel like I feel like I'm in the place of a lot of a lot of women. And sometimes it's really hard for us to be vulnerable. Like I know I sort of grew up my whole life having this sort of shield around me, which I think came from moving around a lot as a kid. We we were in Texas, but we moved back and forth. My dad was in the legislature and when you move around a lot, you don't have time to create really deep relationships. You kind of create surfacey relationships. Mm. And then on top of that, I was a total nerd. I was like the scrawniest kid. You know, I had every orthodontic thing that you could imagine. Um, I got picked on. Um, and I think that sort of caused me to create this shield around myself and numb out a little bit and yeah. be afraid to be vulnerable. Um, and to be authentic because you worry so much about what other people think yeah. and you worry about how you look to other people and you worry about not looking perfect, right? You want to have it all together. Um, but, but really as, as I think through the kind of the struggle, the benefits and there's so many and, and sort of the cost of being an entrepreneur, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, so many amazing things come from that. And really I'll tell you that I used to be someone who, when I started this business, my husband would make fun of me because he would say, you say, oh shit, every minute. You'd be like, oh shit, this happened. This happened. Oh, shit. He was like, you're the oh shit lady, right? And, and it was because, you know, you know how it is when you start a business, stuff's flying at you and there's stuff that you're not expecting to crop up that's going to crop up. Hmm. A friend of mine once told me that um, working in the food space was like, being slapped in the face and in the same day getting a hug and that you just pray that you get more hugs than more slaps or punches in every day. Right. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's really important. And the thing is with those challenges, with those Oh shit moments, a door always opened that would not have been there had we not had that challenge. Mm. So I, I have to step back and remind myself like great things happen in the midst of terrible things. And it's really hard to do that as you know because you're just working and trying to grow and trying to grow and stuff flies at you and you've got to figure out how to deal with it yeah the adversities are the key yeah the struggles are the key yeah you got to learn to dance with it you know you don't run away you don't fight it you dance with it you work with it and you know it's amazing things happen yeah you know and like i was actually it's good you brought that up because i wanted to dive into what something that um, in your bio, you would put about having growing up, having like a lack of emotion. And that's a problem between a lot of people is that they're kind of disconnected and numb, lack of emotion. We kind of just go through the motions because a lot of times people have their insecurities or their limited beliefs about themselves and, you know, comparisons to other people. You know, how did you get out of that? Because you're clearly an outgoing person. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, you don't seem to be disconnected or lack of emotion. You seem like the complete opposite. So that's what fascinates me as well is that I feel like so many people have that in them, but they don't know how to get that out of them. Yeah. You no. Know? And, and then, you know, hearing that is just, I, I, I love hear, seeing like the contrast there. So how did you get out of that? How did you go from, and why did you pick being a lawyer as opposed to something that was more you know, outgoing or something like that, like something that involves more like what you're doing now? Sure. Well, to that question, the answer is I didn't realize how introverted of a profession that being a lawyer was because you really, you do have client interaction, but the way technology is going, it, I mean, it, you see this with the younger generations, so much more of it is on a device. You're on a computer, you're on a, maybe you're on a phone or you're texting and clients would even text, which I always thought was weird. We were just sort of at that phase where that was starting yeah. to be normal. <laughs> um, but I don't think I realized 
how introverted it would be. I mean, I used to walk around the doors of my law firm and like bang on them and try to get people out because I was like, God, this, and, and I understand why they were in there because the model is set up that you're billed for your time, right? So if you're spending time not billing, then you're going to be in the office longer because you have to hit a certain threshold at most of these law firms to be able to advance or get your bonus or whatever. But it, it's nice of you to say, I don't appear that way. I would say I'm, I'm, constantly working on it. I wouldn't say I've gotten there. I would say I've, I've made a lot of progress. Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people, they get, they get to what I was described as autopilot, right? They've worked through school. Maybe they've gotten married and have kids and they're at a point where they're like, everything is a to-do list. You just coast. And I think some, some people, if you're like me, on top of being on autopilot, you have this shell around you that's protective and it's like i was saying about being numb to things and when i when i mention an emotional part of that i think is my childhood um like i'll, I'll tell you a story when, when i say i had every orthodontic like contraption known to man i when i was a kid i had these things called magnets and they were my teeth were too close together they were just facing apart and literally i could take a fork and hang it on the side of my cheek and it would like hang out like totally fine if you're in a stranger things episode <laughs> awesome if you're a 10 year old girl right I mean so people would pick on me you know I mean I, I remember being the kid at the middle school dances who never had anyone to dance with I remember being the kid who was always picked last to be on a team because I was so scrawny and when you go through something like that you got to build up this outer shell right because I could be upset all the time and I remember multiple days where I would just cry in my room um, but at some point you start getting more tough and you you create this shell and it starts it, what I call now it's sort of like a you, you create this numbness and it's because you don't want to experience those lows so where I got was I was content right I was I didn't have really high highs but I didn't have really low lows and I always had this protection my relationships were servicey yeah I, I'm great when you meet me for five minutes right I'm totally awkward in a really long conversation about something really important or intimate right I've, I've had to work on that because it's difficult for me to be vulnerable mm -hmm. so to answer your question it's a work in progress right but one of the things that really changed things for me was finding my passion and you know people used to say that to me all the time like why are you a lawyer you know are you passionate about it and i would say yes and i would know inside that the answer was not really i became a lawyer because that's sort of the route that i just thought i would take you know I, my dad was a lawyer my sister is a lawyer my cousin was a lawyer and i knew that world and um i really liked debating as a younger kid but but that's really ironic because i don't like debating now which is funny but that's sort of that conflict avoidance where that numbness comes in so i becoming a lawyer sort of perpetuated this um i don't want to say it's perpetuated being numb but it did not allow me to go be creative really or to be out and interacting with people and to be in a really personable setting so all that coupled together kind of created this the shell, I'm numb, I'm pleasant to be around, I put my head down, I work hard, I'm a pretty good employee because I'm not fighting back, I don't cause problems. But on the other hand, I wasn't finding a ton of joy. Like I was, you know, I had happy moments, but overall, I just was on autopilot. So one thing that really changed it for me was finding my passion and it just hit me over the head. And when I launched the first fitness company and started helping other women, I remember this one day, this woman called me. She had all sorts of health issues. 
and she was using our, uh, she was um, eating our bars and it was helping her and she was in tears on the phone. And then I was in tears on the phone, which by the way is very rare. I'm like, not a, I'm not a crier at all. Um, and in that moment, I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to help other women. Like, what can I do to help other women? I, I need to do this. And so I started incorporating little things in my personal life where I would reach out to friends and, and be there for them and try to encourage them and motivate them and see that I really could make a difference. You know, I helped a good girlfriend of mine kind of change her life path trajectory just because we talked through how she wasn't happy. And I, I'm, she says to me, if you hadn't made that call today, I'm not sure. I, I think I might still be where I was which was unhappy. It, I just needed someone, I needed a little bit of a push, right? And so when I found that, that passion, life changed. I mean, I, I, it just, things just got so much more fulfilling and gratifying. And, you know, to be able to carry that through my business, I mean, on the worst day, on the worst day where you've gotten punched 500 times in your business, where everything has gone wrong. If I walk into one of the nonprofits we work here with in Denver, and we're helping women, chronically underemployed women, um, transition to full-time work. They work on boxing our bars. And one of those women will come up to me and said, thank you for giving me a job today. I mean, it's like, it's like someone just shook me, slapped me in the face. And uh, this, this warm feeling comes over me and I'm like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so it's really, I know it's easy to say, find your passion, but I think what I would encourage others to do. And specifically, I think I identify with a lot of women is you have to try those things that you're scared to try. Right. If I would have never left that law firm, I would have had a content life. I would have had a version of happiness. I would have had a network and money and, you know, all the things. That, and, and I think I would have been fine. But now living and doing something that I'm passionate for, totally new ballgame. And it would have never happened had I never decided to take that risk to just go out and randomly start, you know, film a fitness video and start a company. And sometimes it's easier to set, you know, to say that than to do it. But I'm the last person who would do it because I was the person who was afraid of everything. And I really do wrestle with fear, uh, but I did it. And there, and then I discovered that passion. So what was the thing that made you though? Because there's so many people are on that, that hurdle, like, ah, uh, should I, uh, like, what was the thing that pushed you over that? that yeah, there were a couple. So it, it, it was those instances with my kids, right? Like the right. one fell in the park yeah. and then my daughter running out where I really, those moments really grounded me. And I went, what am I doing? Like I'm sitting right. away from them to do something that is a great job, but I'm not passionate about it. Yeah. And then it was really feeling this emptiness from number one, not having a social mission to my work. And number two, I didn't know what my passion was at that time when I left, I just knew that, um, that I wasn't really passionate about what I was doing. And I think you do that for a few years. And at some point you're like, you get tired and you know, I can't tell you what it was that day that I made the decision to go in and give notice. It was just a confluence of all these events that really lit a fire under my ass. And then I kind of got out there. And I should say this too. I started the fitness company while I was still at the law firm. I was kind of doing it on the side. Yeah. And so it was at some point where I realized like, this is more fun, like scary you know, totally unpredictable, could die tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen. And I've worked so hard for this route, but really I'm feeling more of a pull over here. Mm -hmm. And that was another reason why it just felt right. Yeah. It, even the word passion, you're right. It gets used a lot, but when you really think about what it means, I guess it means something that just really lights up your heart and has a bigger purpose, right? Yeah. Totally. I mean, like it's, I, I was just thinking about it too. I'm like, yeah, I've heard that too. And I've said it, find your passion. And 
would you say that that's the definition? It just literally lights up your heart and it has a bigger purpose than you. Yes. It, it, well, I also think for me, it gives me um, gratitude. Like when, yeah. I, when I feel that I'm doing, when I'm aligned with my passion, I feel very grateful. Yeah. When I'm not, I feel like something's missing. Right. Sure. But it's not like you can just walk out the door and find your passion. So people yeah. are always like, what if I don't have any idea? I mean, one thing is, do you know, I don't know if you know, but you know who Marie Kondo is. She like decorates homes and she's all about cleanliness and there's all these specials on her. She wrote a book and she has, the, I've tried to adopt her cleaning methods because I'm unorganized, but she has this very simple thing where you're going through your clothes in your closet and you put all the clothes on the floor. You take everything out, you put it on the floor and you go through each item and you look at that item and you say, does this item bring you joy? And if it doesn't, you throw it out. And you're, I know you're thinking like, what does that mean? But it really does work. You really can look at a, a, an article of clothing and be like, I don't look good in that. That reminds me of a bad night, like whatever it is. Yeah. And I think it's those little steps, like the baby steps of what do you, if you like writing, go start working on a blog. I mean, it's li write one article and you don't even have to submit it. Just do, do the work that makes you feel good and it can evolve into something. And I really do firmly believe that if you go towards the direction of the things that bring you joy, even if it's a little amount of joy, then you will end up in the right place. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that you said that about the clothes because how much of that and not just clothes, how much of that dead weight in our house weighs us down? We don't even know it. Yes. You know, so, the thing, the thing full of pens and crap that we look at every day, that's just part of the counter yeah. or like the shirt that you're like, oh yeah, I might wear it one day, but you know, you hate it. You're like, but you hold it. You're like, why do I have this stupid thing? You're like I might wear it one day and it costs a lot of money, right? Yeah. But it's it so true. Effort to go through that. You have to. Yeah. But it's it also out. super therapeutic to go and to hang up all your clothes. Cause I just went recently went through a breakup and I switched closets. So I had this exact thing. This is why it really resonates with me. So I had to like clean out all the crap that was around and just kind of like remove everything into this closet. And I got rid of stuff and I was like, this feels really good. So yeah. I totally get what you mean because you, you, you get rid of the stuff that kind of is weighing you down and then you have this fresh start almost. You know? Yeah. And it, it really, and so I, I get what you're saying. It can be the smallest thing too. Yeah. Like, but, but oftentimes the small things are reflective of the larger things. So, I mean, my garage is totally unorganized. I mean, I drove into it today and I was like, oh my God, this is reflective of my life on so many levels. Like, <laughs> I don't know where my priorities are. I get distracted by shiny objects, you know, like as an entrepreneur, things come in the door and you're like, that sounds amazing. So I've been told my husband and he, he actually told me in fairness, he was like, we're cleaning out our garage and it's small, but symbolic. And I think you just have to start with, it would be, you know, maybe it's not cleaning out your garage because that might not bring you joy. But for me, the, the process of going through my clothes was therapeutic. And it also made me realize like, oh yeah, I feel better when I wear this outfit. I should wear this outfit, not this one over here that I, was it maybe expensive or a gift or something. I don't want to throw it out, but I don't like it. And I think you do the same thing with relationships. You know, they say you're the sum of the five closest, the people that are closest to you. If this person isn't bringing you joy, and I know this gets kind of complicated with family members, but I mean, you really should reevaluate that relationship and how you're dealing with that person. I just, I firmly believe that. And in my life, what I try to do now, what I'm trying to practice are what are the things that bring me joy? You know, how can I, how, what brings me happiness and what are the things that weigh me down and how do I get rid of those things? Mm. What, what do you do to prime yourself for your best day? You know, what do you do when you get up? What's your morning routine look like? Yeah. 
Um, my morning routine is my sacred time. So you probably laugh at me because I take like... I would never laugh. <laughs> you can't, you can laugh at me, my, my husband. <laughs> but I literally take like 45 minutes to an hour to get ready in the morning, which a lot of my girlfriends think is crazy. But, you know, I grew up under the influence of a mother who put on makeup every day. Now remember, this is Texas. This is like makeup and hair. And, um, I, and I remember asking her one day, you know, why do you wear makeup every day? Like you wear makeup even when you're on your worst day when you're sick. And she said, you know, I really, I, I like look, looking good, looking my best for your father. And some people may disagree with that and think, oh, you should never do that for someone else. But what I realized is that it was more for her than it was for him. And even if it wasn't, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with thinking I'm going to take a lot of time to look the best that I can for myself and also for my spouse. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that kind of relationship. And so I take a lot of time to get ready. But one of the reasons that I do is that I listen to audiobooks like crazy and podcasts and, and occasionally music if I'm really tired or I need like an Eminem song to pump me up, like, you know, at the beginning of this call. Um, then I will, I will listen to that stuff in the morning and that is my sacred time. So when my kids come in, I'm like out, <laughs> this is mommy time. Yeah. So I do that. I really try to get my mindset in the right place. I mean, as you know, when you start every day as an entrepreneur, a lot of stuff comes at you and you wake up with God knows how many emails. You don't know what the fire is going to be for that day. You don't know, you know, how many hugs you're going to get that day. And so I have a five minute journal, which I don't know if you've heard about that. You write down, you have one, of course you do. You write down, right, exactly <laughs> the same one, what you're grateful for and what your wins are for the day. And you know, the wins are also so important because this yeah. year, I don't think we celebrate them enough. You know, we'll get a huge order for our bars. Like I think we got an order recently, it's a couple of pallets and we're, you know, we're super excited for about 30 seconds. And then we're like, oh my God, we might run out of bars and then it turns into freak out, right? So if you don't celebrate those wins, then you just really can't take those moments of joy and be in them. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs let those go. So the, the journal is really good for that because it reminds you to do that. You can talk about your wins for the day. Yeah. And if we're always focused on the big wins, you don't, you, it's the journey. That's the fun part. Yeah. Like I've heard a lot of people that have, once they became really successful, they say, well, the fun part of this whole thing, like it's great to have, make lots of money, but they're like the whole part of it. The fun part was the rise, the rise yeah. up. And you know, it's funny because you're so focused on the money when you're in it. Right. But I just, I have a friend who just exited his company and he sold it for a lot of money and he is like lost right now. He's like, first of all, I can't, nobody, I can't relate to anybody. And I, I'm like, you know, you want to be like, poor you, you just made all this money. But I mean, I get it. He's like, I don't have something that I'm passionate about motivating me every day. So I, this is great. I made all this money. I can do what I can do and travel the world. But like, I don't have that, you know, I don't have anything that I can, that is getting me going or lighting a fire under me every day. And I think you, you, it's easy to take that for granted mm. when you're working as hard as we do. And you get hit, you get those punches. A lot of, I've gotten a lot of <laughs> punches uh, every day with starting, you know, working on a new startup. But you really got to take that time to be grateful in the moment. Because as I said before, some of our biggest hurdles or our biggest challenges opened doors for amazing opportunities that would have never come had we not hit those lows. And so now I really, like you said, be in it and be grateful and roll with it. It's really easy to say that. Hard to do when it's coming at you. But then I remind myself, you know, this is not an oh shit moment. This is a moment where I get to learn and then I get to go, you know what? This is a hard day. What's coming tomorrow? Because something amazing is coming tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it'll always balance. 
Yeah. The laser test, it's just a big balancing act. Yes. It's like, you gotta, you can't get too high. You can't get too low. You just gotta, yeah, this is great. Celebrate and then move on. If it's, if you're having a bad day, you know that the sun's coming out tomorrow. That's right. You know, something's coming, right? Is there any, um, any books that have stood out to you as like super impactful or any, any mentors that are sort of like you aspire to be, or you over the years is kind of, you've looked up to as like, that's, that's an amazing kind of um, role model or whatever they may be to you? Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, um, since I mentioned in my bio or my application that, you know, I had this issue with being unemotional, right? Yeah. I, I went through this leadership program on emotional intelligence about a year and a half ago, changed my life because when you're unemotional, you don't realize it. Right. And so I remember sitting through one of the processes we went through and this, this girl called me an ice queen. And it was like, you know, those moments in movies where like it time stops and they like zoom in or out on the character. Cause it's a really big moment. I mean, that's what it was for me. It was a punch in the gut where I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm coming off this way and I, I'm really not meaning to. And then fast forward about fast forward to about two months ago when a, a friend of mine sat me down and he was like, you have, you're, you're feminine, but you, you put off really masculine energy. And I was like, Oh God, I don't want to do that. You know, as a girl, you think that's the last thing I want to do. And you have to balance this fine line of being kind of direct, but not wanting to seem bitchy, you know, trying to be successful, but not a perfectionist. Um, so it, it's, it's challenging. So I would say doing emotional intelligence work changed my life. And I'll get to the books in a minute, but I wanted to mention that because if there's anyone out there who hasn't done that, it is life changing. And it is really the, the leadership trip or program I went to really what it focused on is here are these things that are great about you. How do you maximize those? And then what is getting in your way and how do you work through those and dissipate them? You know, I had a, I have a very big fear mindset, right? Fear of running out of money, fear of whatever it is, be the smallest thing. Like the first step is identifying that right? And recognizing it about yourself and then learning how to work through it. So I would highly recommend some emotional intelligence training. In terms of books, I, um, I read this book called Mindset by Carol Dweck, totally changed my life. Uh, after that, I read um, some Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza books oh, and best. Law of Attraction. Again, you know, I, I did not grow up uh, with any influences that were similar or that would be consistent or resonate with any of that. So it was, just blew my mind as a new theory of new theories and really made me realize, um, you know, one thing you said, it, it's the journey, right? That's part of it. It's the journey. It's the process. But the other thing is, is it really is your mindset. You know, if you, if you think bad things are going to happen to you, all the time, then that's what's going to happen. If you think you're overweight and you have called yourself overweight, it doesn't matter what you do. That's what's going to happen. If you think you're poor, I mean, it really, it, and this is a struggle for me as somebody who, who is risk adverse and, and has these self-confidence issues that sort of I've, I got from being that, you know, weird geeky kid. Um, this is, these are things I, I still work through every day, but now I realize, like I realize what's holding me back and I can laugh at it. I can go, oh my God, I've been freaking out about this stupid thing. It's getting in my way. And if I just move out of my way, get out of my own way, then great things happen. And so those would, I, I think would be the top books is anything Dr. Joe Dispenza writes. And then, um, Abraham Hicks. And then also yeah. Carol Dweck was the first one that really did it, it change a lot. I mean, I've read, a, I've read a whole lot of them. I've read, yeah. I see Think and Grow Rich on your stand and I've read, 
four hour work with all of those traction, all the business books. But for me, it was really the mindset books that, that made a big change for me. Yeah, I could totally agree and relate with you on that. I'm reading uh, Becoming Supernatural right now. But oh, you are. He's, I, I, I've said this before. I said to people, I'm like, if you want to have an actual understanding of meditation, you need to watch Dr. Joe Dispenza on like uh, Tom Bilio or something. He explains it in such a profound way that it's, it all makes sense. Yeah. He takes such a complex topic that people are so confused about and he explains it in a way that's so, that, under, that is so understandable and makes sense. How you, can, how you attract things when you think about it, how you can move energy from place to place in your body. And it's just fascinating. You know, because there's one side of it, you know, the secret, the law of attraction where people don't agree with it, which is fine. You can't just wish and get stuff. But the more you focus on something and the more you think about it and the more your actions align to that thing, you're going to eventually go in that direction. It's just the way it is. And he has scientific basis for all of his. Yeah. Right. So for an analytical thinker like me, who, yeah. If I would have read Law Attraction five Law of Attraction five years ago, I think I'd have been like, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. But then that, but I actually I found him first. I read uh, Breaking so the Habit good. of Being Yourself first. That book just blew my mind. I was like, "Oh my God!" There's another line of thinking out there. This, is <laughs> and there's, and I needed this scientific evidence. I needed yeah. to hear from a scientific perspective, and he gave me all of that. So whatever your beliefs are, you know, and and I don't know necessarily that I identify with every single thing in all of those books, but what did what what I saw, what I what what sort of saw I saw as proof was that your mindset can get in your way, right? You focus it in the right way and you don't think about fear all the time. Like you can make great things happen. You can also get in your own way. It took me a very long time that uh, the biggest detriment in my life was my limitations set by my mindset. And once you figure out what those are and figure out how to break those down, I mean, I don't want to say you're unstoppable. You know, it's not like I'm with, without fault, but life has changed since I did that work. Yeah. Well, the hard things seem to get easier because you have the tools. Yeah. It, like just things that used to, would have knocked you over. You realize that they're, you, you, it's easier to navigate through them now. That's right. Right. And to find joy. And those are yeah. like, like, like I can, you know, something stressful happens and then I go, you know what, something amazing is going to happen tomorrow. I don't think you have that perspective if you haven't either gone through it or you haven't done some of that mindset work. Right. Very interesting. So I want to go just um, peel back to the whole entrepreneurial journey here and people thinking about starting, you know, food companies or anything. Like what are some tips? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of competition out there, right? A lot. What are some tips for people that want to get into that space? And what are some of the challenges that you face today? You know, the adversities as being um, dealing with the change in what the fads and maybe just, you know, just all the noise around you with trying to create like a product. Sure. So I think the first is entering the food space. They call it CPG, consumer packaged goods. It's not easy. Number one, there's several gigantic companies that can outspend you any day, right? I mean, there's all these big, there's a lot of money in the CPG business. And, um, and there's a lot of competition, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people say, why would you do a bar? There's 
see the comp there's so many bars there's too many bars but yet you'll see that some of these big companies are still turning out bars i was at a food show in march and there's a pancake company they're developing a bar um stacy's pita chips she's now i think developing a bar so there, there's obviously there's obviously still demand for that if I could do anything over again, I, I mean, I wouldn't because I know that that's made me what I am today. But if I started it over again, I would start online rather than retail. Retail is a very hard place to start. And it's, um, it's good because they have higher volume orders, right? But we started at retail because we got a break in a grocery store in Texas that took us in and they launched us. And it was just sort of a fortuitous right time, right place. Um, we started in like over 200 stores and that's how we, we jumped in. The problem with that is you have to, the costs are really high because you're having to make a lot of food, right? So we bootstrapped this company, you know, raising money sort of it's, if it is its own thing. But the other thing is testing. So when we got started, our manufacturers said, let me tell you, it's going to take about a year to get this recipe locked down because you want to make one little tweak at a time right? You're producing anywhere from 30 to 150,000 bars in a run. And if you make five different changes, you're not going to know what, if it doesn't work, you're not going to know what it was. You have to kind of make these incremental changes. That was really hard for me to swallow as a lawyer because I was like very used to getting stuff done very fast. So I'm like, no, 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 we got it locked down. And then sure enough, they were right. We had great taste out of the bat, you know, out of the gate, but it took a while to get the texture right. The texture would sort of drop off after six weeks. There's no way to really test that. You just go out and produce 50,000 bars and hope that they work. So as you can imagine, that's a very expensive test. So if you start online and you don't have a commercial manufacturer that has really high minimums, because that's the other struggle for a new food company is finding a manufacturer that will produce a small volume because most of them demand a certain minimum, which you can't, you can't sell that much food when you start out unless you're just really lucky because you're not going to have that many customers. So I would have started online because I think I would have been, well, first of all, I'd had more control over the pricing, the profit margin, um, interacting with the customer, but also I would have gotten feedback and been able to tweak accordingly. You know, we've changed a little, our bar has evolved a bit to where it is and that, you know, we finally got it kind of locked down. Um, but it took a while and I think it took longer because we started in retail and the only feedback I was getting is when I was, which I often do still, standing in the grocery store with my hairnet on, sampling out the bars, trying to get feedback from people. And some people don't want to tell you they don't like your product because you're standing there and they don't want to be mean. Other people, they're fine telling you <laughs> your product sucks. But I think starting online, there's not as big of a barrier of entry. You can start off at a lower volume. So your costs are going to be a lot lower. Um, I think we wouldn't have had to raise money as fast if we had started out online. So that would be the big, you know, you, obviously you need to start with a manufacturer that has the right safety ratings. You don't want to risk, you know, put, selling food to people that could make them sick or whatever. Mm. But I think you can find it. There are those manufacturers out there or a commercial kitchen or something where you can start at a very low scale and then grow from there. And so what, what I would have done is build up my fan base online. And I'm now doing that reverse. So we launched in retail. And now for the first time, we've really started focusing online. And I'm just like, oh my God, why didn't we start this way? There's so much, first of all, there's a lot more, it can be a lot more lucrative, you know, if you don't, you don't have to discount the product, pay for all these coupons in the store. You got to pay for demos in the store, people sampling out. If it's not you, sometimes even if it's you, the store still charges you a fee. So 
I think the costs are, are you can you can save more, um, and it's a lot better to test and make sure you develop your fan base online first and then grow from there. Oh, that's super useful information. No, I have some buddies who are developing a keto cookie, um, and they've been through a lot, a big process as well. And they've started selling a little bit on Amazon and it's taken off. It's crazy. And that's why it's funny because they have, they're not in retail yet. They've been trying, but soon it's a process, right? Yeah. And I really like that, but I feel like you would have learned a ton from being in retail first. Cause now you got the easy, now you can just scale it, right? Like it's yeah, just but like, at a lot of, at a huge expense, right? Yeah. I mean, the expenses producing, yeah mass producing bars that frankly needed a few more months on a smaller level. Yeah. Although, I mean, the, the, the flip side of that is when you produce 500 bars and then you produce a hundred thousand bars, it turns out very differently, right? So you really don't know what it's going to, what's going to happen until you produce at that level. It's just different equipment, but you're right. We have learned a lot through retail. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and there's obviously a bigger volume play there. But, you know, it's one thing to get in the store, and that's a hard process. I mean, most grocery stores have a review schedule. They will review certain categories either once or twice a year. So nutrition bars might have a review in January and then not again until August. So you have to submit for January, and then if you don't make it, you have to wait till August, right? And if you do make it, that's just step one. And then they're going to kind of, they could do a secondary review. And then it could be a year before you actually get on shelves in the store, wow. depending on what their process is. So it's a long process. Others are really easy to, easy to work with, and they can launch you within, you know, it's usually six months, but um, as the on the minimum end, like it still does take some time, but others are definitely easier to work with. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's nice to have the knowledge that we have, you know, and, and to know what it's like to work with a manufacturer that produces at that level and to work with stores that are used to being at that level. But once you get in the store, you then have to move the product off the shelf, right? Because it's not going to sell itself. I mean, it doesn't matter how pretty your packaging is. That's why I'm saying if you develop a fan base first, then it's easier. But now we're a bar on an aisle with thousands of bars and somehow I have to find a way to stand out. And so we have to go through social media. We need to run coupons. We need to get people sampling in the store. Um, we, we need to stand in the parking lot of the store and hand out bars. Like you name it, we've done it. But it, it, it does take some effort to move that product on the shelf. You don't just get in and then it, and then it just sells. That's such solid information. Wow. I love that you got, you know, because so many people could learn a lot from that yeah. because that's, that's like, you know, the everyday grind that people don't see, you know, like, yeah. like and I love it because I love Shark Tank and hearing that just kind of reminds me of the way they talk in Shark Tank, you know, like yeah. it's so good. Where do you see a bit of a cliche question, but I want to ask it anyway, where do you see your vision in your, your company in five years? Like what else do you got on the horizon? Like, what are you, you know, when you write down where you want it to be, like, what do you, what are you yep. envisioning? So we are positioning ourselves to be the trusted resource for women's snack food. So, Amazing. you know, our marketing, we're all about gold polka dots. We've got gold polka dots on our bars and we want, when people see that, they know we've got their back, we get them, you can trust our ingredients. And so even though we started with a line of uh, protein and energy bars, we're expanding into an amazing, I think the best plant-based zero sugar shake on the market that we're about to launch. Awesome. And we've got another shake in the works and then also some superfood bites. So 
for me, it's sort of the same trajectory of when we, when I launched the fitness product, it's like, there's this void in the marketplace, I think of products that are made for me. Like it just did not exist. And so that's the void that we want to feel or to fill because my husband's snacking is very different than mine. You know, I mean, he wants like 50 grams of protein and I want maybe 15 or 20, maybe, you know, he, he doesn't care if it has 300 calories because he's in the gym lifting weights. I care. I want like 150 calories. And so I think for me, it is being that resource for women and creating, you know, a first national and then international brand where people recognize us as the trusted resource for women, women's snack. So I think we'll stay a snack food company for now, but branch out into different categories outside of bars. That's amazing. That's such a good idea. There's such a market for that too, you know, because yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even think about that. Like, I mean, women, obviously women have different, not, not all like, I mean, has different needs for what they want than men. Right. I mean, it's, it's great. And to be able to go into that niche is really smart. And I mean, I always say snacking isn't one size fits all. Like yeah. we've, we've, we've learned, we've grown, grown up to think that, yeah. but I really, I just don't think it is. I think kids need different snacks too. For sure. I think it's not one size fits all. And then on top of that um, sort of vision for the future is to also continue and perpetuate our nonprofit efforts. So as we grow larger, what really motivates me is the larger we get the more women we get to impact no pun intended um really my goal in life is for when people hear the word impact they question in their mind does that start it with an i or an e because oh, we that's so prevalent <laughs> they see it but um but anyway being able to work with more nonprofits and help more women i mean as we as we grow that is really my ultimate goal is you know i just want to be able to blow that out of the water and really make a difference awesome whereabouts can we find you yeah, so you can find us online and at Amazon, of course, because I, I don't know if most of your, um, if your audience is in Canada. We're not there yet, though I think we might have, um, we might be launching there soon. Uh, we have something in the works. And then we're in, you know, I don't know how many stores we are in the United States, primarily Colorado, Texas to the West Coast, though we have, do, are starting to expand to the East Coast. So for your audience um, online, probably be the easiest place to find us. And we've got a store locator on our website. And I'm also happy to give your fans a discount, whatever we can do, if, if that's helpful to you. Awesome. Do you have any in Canada in the stores yet? Or, Not or yet. You, you have a big enough market in the States anyways, let's be honest. Well, we have something in the works for Canada. Yeah. You know, the, the challenge with, uh, and I, it, this is new to me, and as a lawyer, I appreciate this, but the challenge with international is the packaging requirements are different. Um, so, I know, it's crazy. You know, as a startup, you have to buy packaging at such volume or it just kills you on the price. Mm. So to be able to rationalize changing the design, you know, putting the different requirements of each different place and then having to order a ton of those, you know, you really have to make sure you have a big enough market share to support that. So mm. we've got um, what I think will be our first Canadian account in the works and I'll be sure to alert you when we <laughs> get there. Uh, but that's very exciting for us because that would be our first international play. We haven't done anything outside the U S yet. Awesome. Well, I have one more question that I'm going to ask. It's the one question I always ask at the end of the show. And it's just involving adversity. Um, if there's one thing, one tip that you could give for people that are going through a tough time in business or in life or whatever to overcome adversity, what would that be? I got to have to boil that down to one. 
Well, so, are, if there's two, I, if there's 10. <laughs> going, because I deal with this every day. No, if, I mean, I think the most important thing, and it, it maybe is going to sound a little bit cliche or okay. unattainable in the moment, but your mindset is everything. So, I mean, I, boy, once I figured out how to get out of my own way and realize that my limitations were really caused by the way I perceived them, that there are situations in life that are terrible. We all experience them. We all have to get through them, but that those situations don't define you. That really what defines you is your thought, your mindset about those situations in life in general. Then I think if you can do that work and it's not just a fleeting thought, it's something you have to work at. It's I, I face adversity every day. Like it may be really small or it may blow up in my face. Right. If I let that define me, I would be out of business. I would be a terrible mom. I would be a terrible wife and I would be depressed. I don't think enough of us focus on, you know, overcoming that challenge and really working at taking the time to strengthen our mindset to deal with challenges like that, because they're going to come throughout life. I, I was listening to one of your podcasts. I can't remember the the woman who said life, something like life is all about challenges. Life is just one big challenge and how, you know, we, how we deal with challenges. I don't know that I necessarily agree with, uh, with that, but I do think that if you let challenges define you, you will not be living the life that you can live. And it's too yeah. short, right? It's just, it's too short to be depressed and negative and to let all that stuff get to you. And I know some terrible things happen in life, but, um, but for me, it really has been this constant work of finding the things that bring me joy and working on them. And it could be something so simple. I walked outside today and it was amazingly beautiful. You know, I used to live in Texas where there's humidity and mosquitoes everywhere, giant cockroaches. I walked outside in Colorado today, crisp air, beautiful sunlight, all the trees are blooming. And I just took a moment and I took a sort of a mental snapshot as Brene Brown, who's another, uh, another great author that I read she talked about her daughter doing that in that moment and was grateful just for being able to walk outside and experience that. And I just think we take a lot of that stuff for granted. So, you know, work on, we all need to work on not letting the challenges define us and focusing on the great things that are so simple. Um, having an amazing latte. My husband makes me lattes every day. I'm so lucky. And now my daughter who's nine also makes me lattes. Um, just being able to experience that and have that joy in that moment is everything. Like if you think about those things, then life becomes amazing. If I think about, Oh my God, am I going to be able to pay my mortgage this month? Which has happened. Um, the, the joys of a startup, then I live kind of shaking it on an edge all the time. And so I think that would be my, my biggest advice is it's mm. much easier said than done. But if you put in the time and effort, it, it can improve and I'm working on it every day. For sure. It's, it's those, yeah. Being grateful for the small things because the small things are what make up your life. Yeah. Big things, you know, like those are the things the the simple things that just bring us joy. You got to appreciate, you know, and I totally get what you say because I do that as well. I try and think about the littlest things that, that I could be grateful for because those are the things that you do on a daily basis that you don't really think about, but they, they make up your life. They do. If you aren't thankful for those things, then how do you expect to get more you know? yeah, and one other thing, one other thing, try to find a way to laugh. Yeah. I mean, I, I am probably too serious for my own good. You know, I have a 15 month old daughter who, when she laughs, there is like nothing like that that brings me joy. I mean, the, the laugh, her little laugh and her sisters make her laugh more than anybody. 
those moments are, I mean, hands down, some of the best, right? And so if I'm finding myself in a really awful place, I'm like, what am I going to do today to make myself laugh? What movie am I going to watch that's going to make myself laugh? Or how, and luckily I'm married to someone who's really freaking funny. And so, you know, he, he, he knows he's like, you're down. And then he just rolls off. And then I'm kind of like crying. I'm laughing so hard, but I think you got to take more time to laugh and whatever you got to do to get there, just make it happen. Awesome. Yeah. That's so important. I, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. This was, this was great. So much value in this conversation. And I appreciate you sharing your story because it's important. And to hear that change that you made, it gives people hope you know, that they can kind of get out of their corporate job or whatever and, and pursue their passion. And hearing that is just, it's so good. So I'm definitely going to, I'm definitely going to recommend this episode to anybody that is excited or ha is on the fence about something. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. You're super easy to talk to as I knew you would be. Um, but you know, thanks for listening to my story and being interested in impact. And uh, I've loved being here. Awesome. All right, everybody, make sure you check out Melanie, Melanie DeRose. Is it DeRose or is it DeRose? De That's right, DeRose. De Melanie DeRose. So I didn't want to butcher it. Um, <laughs> make sure you check her out. She's got amazing stuff. Really excited to see what she can create and go get some bars right now. I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, have a great day. Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that. Go buy some bars right now from, from Melanie's company, um, impact is awesome. And I just love the idea that she's making such an impact on women and, and, and to be able to provide them with snack food and just, just a mission to empower them, to inspire them. It's just so amazing. So really awesome chat with Melanie. Make sure you go check her out, follow her and yeah, hope you guys got some value as always go hit that subscribe button. Let us know what you thought of the show. Let us know your takeaways. It's always greatly appreciated. So I love you guys. Have an amazing day. Take care. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.